You know, as Christians, we often talk, when we talk about a boat in the Bible, we often talk about Noah's Ark, right? We often talk about Noah's Ark, we're always just mesmerizing size, how wonderful, how huge, and how, you know, how great this boat that Noah built was. Back in all the way back in the Old Testament, the time in which the earth was no longer listening to God, and the earth was rebelling against God in every way possible, and God sent his judgment upon the earth. And so God called Noah to build this ark, to build this ark, and in this ark, and this ark was Noah's family. This ark, you know, were, were the animals of the, this world. And, you know, according, according to research and according to just studying the Bible, uh, many Bible scholars, they, they came up with a size as to how big this boat actually was. And so they came up with a size of this boat. And they actually built this boat in, in a museum in uh, Kentucky. And it's according to the reports. It's like 3,000 people actually go there every single day just to check out this Noah's Ark. You know, I myself, I've never been there. Um, I was talking to my wife that hopefully one of these days we might, you know, take a trip, you know, over to Kentucky, you know, with the kids just to go and see this boat to see how, how, how this boat is. Uh, but yeah, you know, they just, they built this boat for, you know, they just built this boat. And for them, thank you. And so according to, you know, research and according to, you know, Bi- you know Bible scholars, they, they determined that this boat, this Noah's Ark here, was 450 feet long. That's a pretty big boat. That's a pretty big boat, you know, 450 feet long. To put that into perspective, that's about one and a half football field, right? Because one football field is about 300 feet or so, so that's about one and a half football fields. And not only that, it's about 45 feet tall which is the equivalent of about a four-story building. And I, you know, after I learned this, I, came, I went outside and I look at my house. My house is only two-story. I'm like, man, my house is pretty, pretty high already. Imagine something that's four-story, you know, both that is four-story. And I had no idea how um, Noah was able to do that. But, of course, we all understand that when God gives us a task to do, that he provides us the ability to do it. And... Was that? Yeah. Yeah, it's huge, right? It's huge. I mean, like I said, my house is only two feet, I mean, two-story high. And, and um, you know, when, when I was trying to refinance my house, when I was trying to refinance my house, they told me that I had to repaint my house, right? And so I had a couple of uh, little cracks here and there on top of the uh, roof up there. And so they told me that I have to re- repaint that. And I went out there and I looked at it. I'm saying, there's no way I'm going to climb, climb up there. There's no way I'm going to go up there. And so I got my brother-in-law. You know, he works in the construction business. Uh, he lives in Elk Grove. And I called him up and I said, you know, Danny, his name is Danny. I said, Danny, you have to come over here and you have to take care of this for me. There's no way, there's no way I can do this. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to put a ladder there. I'm not going to climb up there. And so imagine how, how tall this 40 feet tall arc was. And at the same time, um, according to these biblical scholars, it's about 75 feet uh, wide. 75 feet wide. And so when we think about the cargo space, they say that the cargo space of this uh, Noah's Ark was equal to 450 semi-trucks. You know, so that's, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot. You know, that's a lot of cargo space there. And so, but this is what we often talk about when, when we think about a boat in the Bible. So we often focus on Noah's Ark. But today what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us to look at, it, at a boat that is not so big, a boat that's not so huge. 
And this boat is kind of, you know, when the introduction of this boat, it's kind of like, you know, this boat is kind of useless in a way. But when the Bible brings, you know, this boat into the, the story of the scriptures, and we kind of see that this boat was kind of useless in a way at first. And this is Simon's boat, right? This is Simon's boat, where Simon Peter, the, the disciple of Jesus Christ, Simon's boat. And so this, this boat is introduced to us at the time, you know, Biblical scholars, they kind of break up Jesus Christ, his life, into three, three, um, three different uh, times. And so the first time, the first period of his life is pretty much the year of preparation. And in the year of preparation, that's pretty much when he was getting baptized, when he was being tempted by, the, by saying up you know, in the wilderness, when he came back and he was beginning to teach you know, in, in his hometown of Nazareth, and as he was teaching them, telling them what exactly what it was that he was going to do, and they, they became upset with him, and they tried to push him off the cliff, right? And so that's, that's kind of the, the time of preparation for Jesus Christ. And then as it, it comes into this period of time here when Jesus is starting his ministry, we see by reading Luke chapter 5 that people were starting to come to him. That people were starting to be interested in the message that Jesus Christ was preaching. And so, you know, theologians, they call this the time or the year of popularity for Jesus Christ. That's, that's the period of time that we're talking about here when we talk about um, Luke chapter 5 here. And then, of course, it goes on to the year of the Passion. The year of the Passion, that's when Jesus Christ was arrested, he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. And so right here at the beginning of the time of popularity for Jesus Christ, we see this boat. We see this useless kind of pointless boat that was being used by the fishermen at that time. And, and at the introduction of these boats, we, we see that it says that it was just left there. And it was just left there by the fishermen, right? That's how the boat was introduced into the scripture. That was just there. No one was using it. And of course, as we read on, we, we see that Peter, Simon Peter, he was actually using that boat. He was using that boat, but that boat, you know, he, he was working in that boat, trying to fish from that boat. And yet it says that Simon Peter, he says, we've worked hard all night. You know, using that boat, they worked hard all night, and they caught absolutely nothing using that boat. And so once again, like I said, it's, it's pointless. It's useless. It seems like this boat is just useless. And you can see the frustration. You can hear the frustration in Simon Peter's voice as he was talking to Jesus about this, saying that, you know, you know what, Jesus, we were, we've been doing this all night already. We've been using this boat all night already. And yet, it produced absolutely nothing for us. And yet, here as Jesus Christ came upon the scene, here as Jesus Christ came upon the scene, we see a transformation in that boat. We see that transformation from this boat that was just being left out there by itself. This boat that was, was a source of frustration for Simon Peter. This boat, this boat that produced nothing for them, that was pretty much useless for them. We see the transformation in that boat. And we see Jesus Christ using that boat to, to begin teaching his message. And as he walked into that boat, as he sat in that boat, the scripture also teaches us that all these people, you know, they were surrounding the boat. They were pressing up against you know, Jesus Christ wanted to listen to this. And so this boat that was totally useless 
became a boat, it became, it became an instrument for Christ to preach the gospel. And so he started preaching the gospel from this boat. And not only that, not only did it become an instrument in which Jesus used to preach the gospel, not only did it become this, uh, the pulpit for Jesus Christ at that time, it also became an instrument in which Jesus used to call his very first disciples, Simon, John, and James, in that boat. It was in that boat that they saw the miracles that Jesus had. They saw the power that Jesus Christ had. It was in that useless boat, that boat of frustration that they had, that they saw these things and that they were given this purpose by Jesus Christ. Because before them, these disciples really had no purpose. All they did was fish and fish and fish and fish. And that's all pretty much what they did. They really had no purpose. But through this boat, in this boat, it's when Jesus Christ gave them a purpose. And we see that oftentimes in our lives, when we live our life without a purpose, life can be very, very difficult. Living life without a purpose is like getting, a, getting inside a car and not knowing where you're going to go. Right? I've done that many, many times. I don't know about you guys, but I've done that many times. You know, when, back in my generation, when, you know, back in the 90s when I was growing up as a youth, you know, uh, I, I was telling my kids this, that you guys nowadays are so different from us back then because nowadays we, we try to get you out of the house and you won't leave the house, right? Because they just stay in the house and they play video games all day long and I, I had to hide the PlayStation 4 because I'm tired of them playing video games. But, you know, trying to get them out of the house is so hard to do. But back in my days, back in the 90s, we, you know, we, we had nothing to play at home. We had no video games. We had no PlayStation 4. I mean, we had, an, you know, we had Nintendo and things like that, but my family was too poor to to afford a Nintendo. So we had nothing. And so back in my days, it was my parents trying to keep me inside the house, right? You know, they're trying to keep me inside the house, but I'm always outside the house, always doing things outside of the house. And this one time, me and my friends, we, we got into my car. You know, this is back when I was probably 16 or 17 years old. I, I just first got my license. And I got into my car and we said, you know, let's just, today's a boring day. It's a Saturday. We don't know what to do. Let's just get in the car and let's go. So we had no, no place to go, and we just got in the car, and we just went. By the time we knew it, we were in Stockton already. And when, once we got in Stockton, you know, there's still, there's still daylight out. You know, there's nothing to do in Stockton. We, we try to go and visit a couple of our friends, and we try to go and visit a couple of girls. We went to the mall, walked around, and trying, trying to see if there's any girls you know, at the mall and things like that. And, you know, after a while, we, we got rejected a few times. And, you know, after a while, we're like, this is boring. Let's, let's continue going. And so we just continued going. By the time we knew it, we ended up in Fresno. And there we were in Fresno with nothing to do, trying to do the same thing, you know, trying to do the same thing, you know, you know that, that we were doing in Stockton. We weren't very successful. And then after, <laughs> after that, we got in the car, we went again. By the time we knew it, we were in Los Angeles. And my parents, you know, our parents started calling. And, you know, my friends' parents, they're, they're, they're telling all my friends, they're saying, you know what, Chang is the worst person in the world because he takes us all the way down to Los Angeles on this day. And my parents are calling me up, yelling at me, saying, you know, what the heck are you doing? You need to come back home. And that's what happens when you don't have a purpose. As you, when you just get in, in a car and you just go, and all of a sudden you end up, you know, nowhere. You end up doing nothing, you know, and you just wasted a whole day. And yet, if you had a purpose, if you know exactly the destination that you're going, 
then you actually know, know when it ends, and you actually know when to come back home. But when you, don't, when you don't have anything planned, then you don't know when to go home, and that's when your parents get pissed off at you. That's when your parents get mad at you. You know, if you know that you're going to go to San Francisco, of course you go to San Francisco, you stay over there, and then you come home. But you know what? This, this here, this here in this boat was when Simon, Peter, James, and John were given this purpose, their purpose to become fishers of men. And so we see the transformation of this useless, useless boat. We see the transformation of this boat of frustration, this boat that produced nothing, we saw that transformation when Jesus Christ came upon it, when Jesus Christ arrived at the scene, how that boat became something so significant in the scriptures. It became something so important in the lives of these disciples. And when we think about that boat prior to, prior to it becoming, prior to Christ appearing on the scene, one of the things that I often think about is, you, I often think about my life before Jesus Christ. And the scriptures talks to us about that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You see, at the time in which we were called, who were we at that time? And it goes on and says, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, and not many were of noble birth. And so many of us, when we come to Jesus Christ, we come from humble beginnings, I know I did. I came from a very humble beginning. Lived in poverty, lived under uh, welfare for most of my life as, as, a, as a child. My, my, both of my parents were orphans, not having any kind of education. So I came from a very humble beginning, very, very poor. Like I always tell people, I, I dream of one day having a garage when I was a kid, you know. That's, that's the one thing that I always wanted, just to have a garage like, the, like all my friends. And so when we think about this, we think about our life before Jesus Christ came into our life. And then when we see the transformation of our own lives, when Jesus Christ has taken a hold of us, it's a lot like that boat. It is a lot like that boat, that God transformed that pointless boat, that useless boat, and he transformed it into something so significant. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the scripture teaches us that we are given the message of the gospel to preach. Each and every single one of us, not just the pastor. This is not just for the pastor, but it's for each and every single one of us that we are given the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to preach. And what is this gospel? This gospel is the power of God, it says. You see, so we are given the power of God. It is the power of God to bring men and women into salvation. And that's what we've been entrusted with when we're called. When Jesus Christ appears in our lives, that transformation takes place in our lives, and we go from this being this useless person, being this person with, with no power, being this person with, you know, producing nothing, and to, be, to become this person with much power because we hold on to that message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And it goes on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it goes on and it says that Christ becomes our wisdom. You see? Before then, before Jesus Christ, before Jesus Christ, not many of us were wise. We had no wisdom. But when Jesus Christ takes a hold of us, 
he becomes our wisdom. It's not so much that he gives us wisdom, but that he becomes it himself in us as he lives through us, that we become that wisdom. Oh, he becomes that wisdom for us. And so we have to realize as Christians that a life without Jesus Christ is often a life It's often a life that is useless, just like that useless boat. A life apart from Christ, apart from Jesus Christ, is often a powerless life. But our life in Jesus Christ, not because we are anything special, but because Christ is special. Not not because we are any... Any, anyone that's powerful, but because Christ is powerful, that when he comes into our life, that he transforms us. And one of the things that I used to always love to teach the youth, and I always like to t- tell them this when I was in CMA, is that, you know what, many times the devil will try to tempt you. And the devil will tell you that you're not good enough. And you often, we often struggle with that. We often struggle with that because the truth is many times we're not good enough. Many times we fail. No matter how great we are, No matter how great we are, many times we're going to fail. But one thing that we can always remind the devil is this, that it's not about us. It's about the one that's on the cross. He never fails. He never fails. And even when we're powerless, he is powerful. Even when we can't do it, he can do it. And he's doing it through us. Out of his amazing love, out of his own amazing grace, that he has chosen us as the instrument that he performs his will through. And that's, that's the message of the gospel. That's what we've been entrusted with. You know, when we think about angels, they, we, 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 we read it in Isaiah chapter 6, and we see the, the angels flying, flying. They're just flying around the, the throne of God. And we see they were covering their faces. They were covering everything. And so even these holy, holy creatures when they were close to God, they had to cover themselves up because they could not look into God. They cannot look into God. Because God is that powerful. And that sign of them covering their faces is, is a sign of God's holiness. And that's why as they're, they're flying around, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. And so even the most majestic creatures, when they're near God, all they can do is cover up their faces because of how wonderful and how great God is. And yet these majestic creatures, these angels, were never entrusted with the power of God, with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you and I, you and I, as sinful as we may have been in the past, as much as we have failed in the past, as, you know, as much as we have probably struggled in the past, but Jesus Christ has gotten a hold of us and he has given us this powerful message this powerful thing, and he has transformed us. And all of our sin has been forgiven. We stand uncondemned before Jesus Christ, before the Lord, and we can look upon our God with no fear, without having to cover up our faces anymore, like the angels, because Jesus Christ is our covering, and he's the reason why we can approach God. And so that's the life with Jesus Christ. And we see this transformation of this boat, and this transformation is an example of our own life, of who we are. And so we are to give our life to God. You know, maybe there's certain aspects of our life that we haven't given over to God. Maybe it's our marriage that we need to give over to God. We need to give that to God and say, God, I've been doing it my way for so long. 
let me do it your way now. And we give our marriages over to God. We give our jobs over to God. God, you know, I've been working at this job for about 20 years. I've been doing it my way. Today, let me give it to you and let me do it your way so that you will be glorified in the things that I do, even in my workplace. Let me give this to you. Let you be the one to guide me. Let you be the one to be the center of my life. Maybe it's our church. Maybe we need to give up our church to God. Maybe we've been here for you know, hundreds of years, but you know what, God, maybe we've forgotten about you. Let us give our church to you. Let you be, Jesus Christ, you take over our church. You are the head of the church. This is your church. This is not my church. This is your church. Let me do it according to your way. Because with Christ, he transforms everything. Maybe it's our ministry, right? Because we can do many, many ministry without ever, ever following Jesus Christ. That's one of the, that's one of the scary, scary things about doing ministry. You can do ministry your whole life without following Jesus Christ. And so that's one thing that we need to give over to Jesus Christ, to Jesus take over our ministry. It's one thing that I need to do is as a pastor, say, Jesus, why don't you take over my role as a pastor and let, let you lead me. Let me follow you. That's one of the songs that I sang during, um, during um, the Valentine for luncheon. It's about being a father, being a husband. And, and, and the song goes on and says, Father, why don't you lead me? because I can't do this alone. I'm simply a man, and so I fail many times in being a father. I fail many times in being a husband. I fail many times, and I can't do it alone. Christ, why don't you lead me so I can be a better father? Why don't you lead me so I can be a better husband to my wife? So these are things that we can give up to Jesus Christ, and we can say, Jesus, why don't you take over this? And then as we go on, we see uh, Simon's response. And Simon says to Jesus, after he, he spoke about how they've worked all night and haven't caught anything, Simon says, they will do it. He's going to do it. And he goes on and he says, because you said so, I will let down the nets. You see, Simon could have said, you know what, Jesus, we've been doing this all night and I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm sick and tired of this. It's been frustrating. So you know what, even though you say so, I prefer not to. That could have been his response. But instead of responding that way, he says, because you said so. Even though I've been doing this all night. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, I will let down the net. This is, this is showing us Simon Peter's how, how much he trusted in Jesus Christ. And when we give our life to Christ, it shows us how much we trust in Christ. And then it goes on, and it goes on. And after, G, after Simon saw this miracle, he, got on, he, he fell on his knees, the Bible says. He fell on his, on his knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When you approach this holy God, you realize, you realize who you are. And when you realize who you are and it humbles you, it allows you to be lifted up by God. Just as Isaiah just as Isaiah was saying, woe to me, woe to me, for I have seen the Lord. Woe to me, he's pretty much just cursing himself, you see. He was cursing himself that, you know, I, I am now cursed because I, I am a sinful man and now I have seen the Lord. I'm not going to be able to live. 
And so they recognized this. They recognized how, how, how holy God is. And so it brings them down to their knees. It brings them down in worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it humbles them. And that's oftentimes, that's one of the things that we often need as, as Christians is to be humbled by God so that we can serve him. And so as we think about Jesus Christ today, as we think about this boat, let us also be humbled by how wonderful of a God that we have, of how wonderful of a God that we worship. We have, you know, we, we're worshiping the God of all creation, the God of all gods, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. He's above all things. And we stand, we continue to be able to stand in his presence, like I said, without covering our faces like the angels, because of Jesus Christ, and we can pray to him, and we can go to him directly, all because of his grace, all because of who he is. And so today, what I want to make sure that we understand is that any part of our life that has not been given over to God, let us give that over to God. Let us give that over to Jesus Christ. Let him take control of that for us, and let him guide us, and let let him transform us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much, Father. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to this earth to call us and to open the way for us to be able to come before you with no fear and no trembling. We thank you so much for all these things. We pray that your message today will transform our hearts. We pray that your message today will be with each and every single one of us. We pray that on a, on a daily basis that we will continue to see how holy and how wonderful you are, and that it will continue to humble us and continue to allow you to use use us for your purpose. And so, Father, we lift up everything and everyone to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.
May the Lord be with all of you and keep you safe till we meet again. God bless.